their website. You can just Google The Chosen. And um, they have an app, too. It's free on their app. And they're in their third season right now. Currently, I think, making the fourth season. And uh, it's, it's pretty good. Um, it's, it's, from what I've seen, we're, we've, we're not finished with it. We've watched most of, most of it. We're in the third season. But it's been um, fairly accurate. You know, I mean, obviously, when you, when you make a story, when you, when you make a movie or a show from any, any book, not just the Bible, any book, um, obviously, you have to take some liberties to fill in gaps and things like that. And um, so not everything in the show is completely accurate. And as a matter of fact, even that story, as you'll see as we read this, you'll see some differences uh, in some things that I think they missed. Um, But overall, it's a pretty good show, and I think you'd you'd be encouraged by it. So Luke chapter 5, we're going to continue in this passage. I preached a message from this passage last week about the leper. If you haven't heard that, you can go um, on our website, fbchuntsville.com, and you can go back and listen to that. I would encourage you to do that. But we'll continue on in this uh, passage and read from verse 17 here in just a moment. But today I want to introduce you to uh, four friends. And uh, four friends that are really, we'll see, they're going to do whatever it takes uh, to get their friend to Jesus. You know, most of us probably came to Christ by hearing a sermon and maybe responding to the gospel. Or maybe you grew up in a Christian home and uh, you heard the Bible taught in your home, or maybe you were saved at a young age at maybe a vacation Bible school. Um, you know, we're, we're all, when we think about salvation, we, we are all saved the same way as far as the transaction goes, right? We're putting our faith in Christ and repenting of our sin. But I, I do believe that, you know, God uses different things in different circumstances to bring us to faith. And so I would just be interested in, in knowing how many of you would say it was because of a friend in some way. It was because of a friend. That's how I came to know Christ as my Savior. Maybe they brought you to church or they invited you or maybe they actually led you to Christ. Anyone like that? It was because of a friend. Wow. Okay. So a good, a good number of you. Um, you know, the, the thing is, we know as believers that people are watching us. Uh, they're, they're looking at us, they're listening to us. And, um, if, you know, if we're a professing Christian, maybe they see you drive out of your neighborhood on Sundays, or maybe you're really outspoken about it at work, but they know you're a believer and and they're watching you. And, uh, they're looking at how you work and how you play and how you interact and respond to things. And, uh, we need to be really aware of that, um, and, and be careful that we have a good testimony because what they're trying to do is they're, they're trying to see if what you have is, is worth having, right? Or, or, or if it's real, is it genuine? And so we need to be really careful about, you know, making sure we have a good testimony. Because here, here's the thing, you know, you may be the only Bible that someone will ever read. Uh, you know, people, you, you may never get your neighbor to come to a church service or a special meeting, but they will come to your living room and they will talk to you at the mailbox and, uh, and they will listen. And so we need to, to be very, very uh, conscious of that. So I want, to, I want to show you today four friends. And the reason I want to show you and introduce you to these friends is so hopefully that you and I, can, we can adopt the same urgency that we see here to get ourselves and to get other people 
to, to the Lord. So let's look here in this passage, Luke chapter 5, and we'll begin reading in verse 17. And uh, the Bible says here, And it came to pass on a certain day, as he was teaching, that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by, which were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. Now, if we had time to unpack it, uh, we'll learn very quickly that these guys, these religious guys, they're not there for the right reasons. Uh, they're there to criticize. They're there to critique. And uh, some of them, you know, may be there for the right reason, but many of them, I, I would definitely say, are not. And the Bible says, And the power of the Lord was, was present to heal them. And behold, men brought in a bed a man which was taken with a palsy, and they sought means to bring him in and to lay him before him. And when they could not find by what way they might bring him in because of the multitude, they went upon the housetop and let him down through the tiling with his couch into the midst before Jesus. All right, let's pray together. Lord, we thank you again for this day and for your word and for this time. And I pray that you would just bless these next few moments as we look at this story. And just a very simple, simple idea here. But Lord, I pray that it would have a, a huge impact and really challenge us to, uh, to be what we need to be. So help us and speak to us. Give us understanding. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so I want to give you one insight about the friends. And then I want to end by telling you what our greatest need is, okay, that we find here in this chapter that we all share. So the first one is this. Number one, friends bring, bring friends to Jesus. Okay, very simple. And we see that here. Friends bring friends to Jesus. Now, in order to understand the context of what's happening, I have to explain a little bit about the housing situation that would have been in the first century. Uh, you know, and especially the way the, the roofs were made. So in the first century, normally uh, a house had one big meeting room. Okay, and uh, that was typically how they were. Some, some houses only had one room. But definitely one big meeting room. And then over time, what happened during that time is they would add on to that room, that big room, as family, different people in their family would move in. And so they would start to have little smaller rooms around their house. And um, the largest archaeological find in Capernaum, which is where we're reading this story from, this is happening in Capernaum, the, the largest archaeological find in Capernaum was a room that they found that they said would actually hold 50 people. Okay, so we know that some of uh, these houses, some of these rooms were very large, right? It could hold a lot of people. Now, a lot of commentators and scholars, they believe that the house that we're actually talking about here and reading about here in this passage where the roof is destroyed, a lot of people believe it was Peter's house. All right, we know that uh, Peter lived in Capernaum. Uh, we know that Peter uh, had a wife and he had a mother-in-law. And so a lot of people would, would kind of agree that this may have been Peter's house, okay, regardless. It doesn't really matter, I guess, but let me explain the roof, okay? So the roof, so again, we have to remember people are packed into this house. Uh, they didn't really show it in the video. I think it was very, you know, much more crowded than the, what they pictured. Uh, we understand that there were so many people in this house from wall to wall. They're packed in hearing uh, Jesus teach. Jesus was there teaching to those that would listen. And I can imagine that even the house was surrounded by people and, and people looking in the windows and, and uh, that kind of thing. So everyone's packed in. Uh, the roof was, was not pitched like it would be in today's houses, but it would have been a flat roof. 
And so uh, they would have to build this thing and repair this thing. And uh, they would normally take timbers, okay? They would take these large timbers and they would space them two or three feet apart. And then they would get uh, sticks and branches and twigs and intertwine uh, the gaps. And uh, they would make sure that everything was, was covered. And then they would uh, take some mud at least one feet, if not two feet deep, and just pack it in. And what would happen is the sun would come out and it would bake that substance and it would, it would form like a concrete substance. So a very hard, uh, very, you know, very sturdy uh, kind of roof. Okay. And so uh, it was, you, you couldn't just, just dig it up. I mean, it, was, it would have been really hard to get through is, is what I'm getting at. So it would take a long time to get through this. Uh, many times on top of that, you would have grass and weeds. Sometimes bushes would actually grow on top of these houses. And so you can just kind of imagine. And you might be wondering, as you read this story, as I have, I told you before, when I read the Bible, I always try to ask questions and I always try to think through things. And, and I think about these, these friends bringing their friend to Jesus. And, and, uh, and I, I just wonder, how did they get on the roof? You know, was there just a ladder laying on the side? But if you study, what you'll find is that actually most houses had stairs. They had stairs on the outsides of their houses. And that's because they had to repair the roof just all the time, just through weather and, and rain and, and, and cold and dampness and humidity. It would mess up, so they would have to repair the roof. So I want you to imagine the scene here. Jesus is in the middle of a service, and he's teaching there to people that would listen to his message. And all of a sudden, you know, there's this commotion on the roof. And, and I'm sure he's, they're hearing this, again, because it would have been quite the task to get through this roof. And so I'm, I'm sure that, that you know, they're, they're, they're hearing what's, what's going on. And Jesus is probably like, you know, what, what is happening right now? And then debris begins to fall down and things start to, you know, just fall on their heads. And then they look up and they see a little light come through and fill this dark room. And then this hole gets bigger. And then all of a sudden... You know, this person is, is, is dropped down. And so you have to remember from last week, if you had an illness in the first century, okay, the religious leaders said that it was because of, of sin in your life, right? We saw that with the leper. And this was typical, a typical religious teaching that if you had a physical ailment, okay, just if you were blind or if you were deaf or if you couldn't walk or if you had leprosy, it's because of some kind of, of sin, in your life, something has gone wrong. And so we have this contrast right before our eyes. We have this, this man who's laying there who can't walk, and he's been taught his whole life it's because of sin in his life, and it's something that he's done. And then we have the holiest man ever to walk the planet, and he's there in the room with this guy. And these religious leaders are there. We know that from the text. And they're watching, and they're wondering, I'm sure, what is about to happen Okay, what, what is going to happen with this rabbi and, and this, this man who is sick? And then all of a sudden, Jesus notices something. Look at verse 20 in your Bible. And the Bible says here, and when he saw their faith. Now notice that. When he saw their faith. Whose faith? I ask that question. Whose, whose faith is he looking at? Was it the man on the ground? Or is it the faith of his four friends? Now, don't think you're going to get saved because of the faith of your friends. Okay, we know that if you're going to come to Christ, 
in order for a person to truly be saved, they have to have their sins forgiven. They need to buy themselves. They need to repent of their sin and trust Christ by faith, right? And we know that. But it's interesting that Luke notes notes that here, and Jesus is really amazed by this. He's amazed by their faith. Why? Because Jesus is getting ready to teach us a principle. Okay, he's getting ready to show us something and teach us something about faith. And here's what I want us to see. The first time that we see the word faith introduced in Luke, it's right here. This is the first time the word faith is seen in the book of Luke. And every time since in the gospel of Luke that he uses the word faith, it's never talked about as an intellectual assent, like, like, like arriving at some kind of knowledge right, or getting things right in our mind. Faith for Luke always led to action. Okay, so he says here, in a sense, you believe it, we'll prove it. You know, if, if you say you have faith, show me your works, right, prove it by your works. And so we see these friends do a couple of things. Okay, so number one, we notice their effort. Okay, how are they going to show their faith? Their effort, number one, their effort. It took a lot to get this paralytic man to Jesus. There were no wheelchairs. There were no rolling beds. There were no ambulances. Uh, there were none of those things, obviously, at that time. He can't get himself there, so he really has to rely on his friends to carry him there. He's really dependent on his friends to show him or to lead him uh, to the Lord. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, some of our friends who, who don't know Jesus, they may never come to the Lord unless we show them or unless we bring them, in a sense, okay? So we have to think about that. Are we carrying our friends, in a sense, to Christ? Are we telling them the gospel? Are we giving them this, this good news and inviting them to Christ? Now, when we think about friendship, friendship is a big deal, right? Because sharing the gospel with someone isn't just this transactional thing that we do. Uh, we want to genuinely be friends with people, right? We're not just friends with someone because, you know, we have an ulterior motive, like, hey, I'm going to, I want to make friends with lost people. Although that, I understand that aspect of it. We have to do that. But we need to be careful that we're not just making friends with this agenda that, you know, I want to lead them to Christ. Like, we have to be genuine. Like, they're going to see through that. And so we have to uh, really befriend people <clears throat> and get into their lives. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, people may never come to Christ unless we do. So we have to be their friend. And, and genuine friendship is, is messy, right? People are messy. Uh, your life is a mess. My life is a mess. And so when we get into these relationships with other people, we have to enter into their mess. And really, they're entering into our mess, too. But when, you friend, when you're a friend with a person, a genuine friend, you really get into the trenches and, and you go through hard times with them. And it's through those hard times that you'll have an opportunity to talk about the hope that's in you. Right? Like if you're genuinely a friend with someone, maybe it's at work or, or maybe it's in your neighborhood, and, and, and they're going through something difficult in their life, and they will, right? Because we do. We're sinful. We live in a sinful, fallen world. We're going to have problems. When they have problems, uh, we're there to hopefully give them hope and share Christ with them. You see, the gospel will speak loudest in the lowest times. When people are really going through, through difficult things, uh, they tend to listen, right? They tend to listen more. And so we see their effort. Okay, they made a lot of effort to get their friend to, G to Jesus. Number two, we see their ingenuity. Okay, I mean, we have to agree, this is the most creative evangelistic approach we will see in the Bible. 
uh, ever, right? I mean, they're going to tear up the roof to get to Christ. And just think of their ingenuity. They destroyed property. Uh, they, they had, you know, there was some physical harm there. There was financial harm. You know, if it was Peter's house, Peter's probably thinking like, you know, who's going to pay for this roof? You know, I mean, hey, I'm glad you can walk, but who's going to pay for the roof, right? And so uh, we have this, this, this problem, but it, it shows us that they did anything it took to get someone to Jesus. And I would encourage you, and, and I've been thinking about this myself all week, is we need to adopt this kind of attitude, this, this do-whatever-it-takes mentality. We need to do whatever it takes and be as creative as we can be to get the gospel into every home in our community, right? And now we need to be careful with this um, because there are some churches, obviously, who adopt this mentality of, hey, you know, the ends justifies the means kind of thing. And they're going to do everything they can to get people through the doors. And a lot of times those things are really not biblical. So we want to be careful about that, right? Everything we do, we want to be biblical in what we do. And so, but, but, but we can still adopt this, man, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get the gospel, to get my friends, to get these, this neighborhood, to get this community to, to faith in Christ. Uh, this is why we do events like Trunk or Treat, you know, or Vacation Bible School, or our food distribution ministry, which is great. We just had it yesterday. And this happens once, once a month where we feed, you know, hundreds of families in our community. And um, yes, you know, we may not have the resources that other ministries might have, and we may not have the budget that that other churches might have, but we shouldn't let those things stand in our way of really preaching the gospel and reaching our community with the gospel, right? We, and, and it's just true. You know, we can't do, we can't do everything. We don't have the manpower. We don't have the finances. Um, you know, we can't, we can't, we need to be careful that we don't compare ourselves with other churches. And sometimes we start to think, man, look at, look at what all they're doing and, and look at all that they're accomplishing. And that's great. Okay, that's great. We're on the same team. And I think sometimes we get this idea that, you know, we're um, in competition with them. But we're not. That's great. I'm glad God's blessing that. But I want God to bless here. And he has. And, he, and he'll continue to do so. But I want us to have this mentality of, man, we're going to do whatever it takes to get the gospel uh, to our community. So we have these different ministries. Uh, we have ministries that go on here. You know, we want to minister to parents and families. And so that would be even things like serving in the nursery uh, and encouraging and investing in our babies and toddlers so that parents can attend a service to hear the gospel. And, and listen, when we think about these things, we don't do them because they're comfortable, Right. I mean, even think about the nursery. You have to be really wanting, like, rewards in heaven to serve in the nursery, right? Uh, I mean, we don't do things because they're comfortable. All right, if, if we waited, to, if we wanted to do things that were comfortable, nothing would ever get done. We do these things, we lay down our lives, and we do these things for the sake of the gospel, right? It's not about, it's not about me being comfortable. It's about me doing things, stepping outside of the box, because I want people to hear the gospel, it's for the cause of Christ. That's why, you know, we give a donut with a smile on our face and we welcome people onto our campus with excitement and, and smiles. And we give up our assigned seats in church even, you know, for guests. And some of you have assigned seats. And, but we, hey, sit here, sit here with me. And, 
And so this is the kind of just mentality that we need to have that, man, we're going to do whatever it takes. Listen, we, we're, we're grateful for what's going on in these other churches. Man, praise God for that. But, but this is the church that God's given us to attend. And we're going to do everything we can to make this a place where disciples are being made, where people are being loved, where the gospel is being preached, and where people are being saved. You know, I, I am praying, I'm praying just for a revival. And I pray that it would start in my heart. I need revival. And I want more than anything to, to see just people coming to Christ. And I'd love to see these, this baptism filled with people. And it's not about getting big. Honestly, if, if you guys know me at all, it's not about having a large church. I couldn't care less about that. But, but, but people do, you know, numbers represent people, right? And we want to reach people. And so if, if we are, you know, seeing people come to Christ and seeing people baptized and serving, and we will see, we, we will see growth. So we have to adopt this mentality of, man, we're going to do whatever it takes to get the gospel to people. But the third insight I want you to see, and this is the one that I really want to drill down on, is their urgency, Okay, their urgency. They had effort, they had ingenuity, and they had urgency. Uh, how many of us, maybe, when, when we would have gotten to the crowd, would have said, ah, let's, let's come back next week. You know, he's going to be in town all week, and we'll just come back. Or maybe we would have gotten as far as the roof and, and just said, man, it's, there's no way we're getting through here, and, and just give up. Not these guys. They were persistent. They had a sense of urgency. And again, we need to have this kind of spirit. And I pray that I would have this kind of spirit, the spirit of urgency that, you know, we can't, we can't just sit idly by. We can't wait on something to happen. Uh, we have to get involved and, and get on the same page as God and say, hey, we're, we're going to work and we're going to be urgent and, and, and we're going to do our best uh, to do God's work in this, in this city. And so um, I pray that, that I would have that kind of thing, that we would do whatever it takes, again, to reach the loss. We have to love our community. Um, our neighbors, I think about this, our neighbors have to know that we care, right? And, and sometimes I, I, I just, I wonder, sometimes I, I have these thoughts that, uh, what do people think of our church when they drive by? You know, because for us, we're used to coming here, right? I mean, it, we've been coming here for years, many of you, and you drive down Triana, and you turn on Village, and you, you, you see the sign, you just you just pull in the parking lot and, and it's just normal to you, right? I mean, you, you, just, you just come on our property, you see familiar faces, but we have to start looking with fresh eyes. You know, what, what does our community really think about our church? What do they think about when they drive by? Um, you know, what do they think about uh, our, our buildings? You know, the way our buildings look, our landscaping, our grass. And I would say that work needs to be done. Listen, I'm grateful uh, for all the work that is being done. And uh, I'm not complaining. I'm just saying there more could be done. And uh, we could have a better testimony here when it comes just to, to aesthetics and things like that. So work needs to be done. What, what do they think when they walk into our buildings? What do they think about? And grateful, you know, grateful to the Lord that he's given us a wonderful auditorium to meet in. And we've just renovated this space in the last, you know, six, seven years. And I'm grateful for that, but more needs to be done. Um, you know, and I understand things cost money. Um, I understand that we're working with limited resources, 
But I do believe this. We have, an, uh, we have a God who has unlimited resources, right? I mean, I, I, could, you know, I can't fund everything that needs to be done. And I know that you individually can't either, but I know a God who can. And I've seen God do things. I've seen God do miraculous things. I think about, uh, you know, my dad's church uh, in West Virginia. This is just a, a little church in West Virginia uh, where they are. And uh, the, the whole county uh, has one, one uh, stoplight. And so just this, if you think of Mayberry, okay, that's where my dad lives. And uh, someone in their church just left them a million dollars, you know, and they have a million dollars sitting in the bank. And it's just amazing. But anyway, I'll just say that to say, who knows, you know, who knows what could happen. And, uh, you know, we just need to pray that God would work and and that uh, we could see things move forward. Uh, Pastor's going to say more about this in the coming weeks, but we're going to begin to raise money to update our, our sound equipment. As many of you know, since COVID, um, every church really has gone online, and I think the online ministry is pretty important. Um, and so we're going to begin to raise money to update um, our sound equipment, our speakers, our mics, our cameras, and uh, it's going to cost a lot of money, but I think we're going to see a really good return on that. You know, we're going to have a really nice online ministry that we can really be proud of and, and share, and people can be helped by it. Um, we're going to try to uh, renovate the basement, and he'll say more about that, and we have some things uh, in the works for that. We have other projects that we're thinking through. So, so many things need to be done. As a matter of fact, um, I'm not going to preach very long today because I want to leave time for, I don't know if you saw on Facebook, but I want to do a prayer walk today. And what that is, is we're, when we're going, to, we're going to end the service and um, we're going to go around, we're going to walk around to all of our buildings. And I just want to share with you some things that to, to pray about, uh, some ideas that we have to, to try to update and fix up our campus. And uh, then some needs that we have as far as volunteers go and just pray. We want to pray uh, for the, th- these things in our church. And so uh, at the end here, we'll, we'll have time for that if you'd like to stay for it. Um, so anyway, pastor will say more about those, those projects in the f- next few weeks as he gets back. So, but these are the things that'll, that'll help us share the gospel with lost people. But the thing is, we need to be urgent, right? We need to, to make an effort. We need to have some ingenuity and we need to have some urgency about sharing the gospel. Uh, number two, uh, is this. This is the second insight from these four friends. The first thing that we see is that friends bring friends to Jesus. But the main point of this passage is something that I want to show you here, and it's that forgiveness is our greatest need. Okay, number two, forgiveness is our greatest need. Look at this passage again, verse 20. The Bible says, And when he saw their faith, he said unto them, unto him, Man, thy sins are forgiven thee. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this which speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answering said unto them, What reason ye in your hearts? Whether it is easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Rise up and walk, but that they may know that the Son of Man hath power upon earth to forgive sins. He said unto the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, and take up thy couch, and go into thine house. Now, what, it, what Jesus is doing here is this. He, he's saying here, if a, if a person supernaturally says, you know, your sins are forgiven, 
you can't, you can't really prove that, right? I mean, there's no, there's no tangible evidence in the moment that Christ could forgive sins. Okay, so have you ever thought about this? So, so these, these religious leaders or even just anyone listening to Christ, he's saying, thy sins are forgiven. Anyone can say that, right? Anyone can say thy sins are forgiven. How do we know? How do we know his sins are forgiven? How, how do we know this man can even do that? Or does he even know what he's talking about? Anyone can say that. And that's what he's, he's getting at here. He says, okay, yeah, you forgive sins. But if you heal a man physically, it will prove, Jesus says, what I can do spiritually. So it's like he's saying, okay, you don't believe me that I can forgive sins? Let me show you. I'm going to heal this man. This is going to be uh, some tangible evidence, some proof that I can and I do have power to forgive sins. Verse 25, and immediately he rose up before them and took up that whereon he lay and departed to his own house, glorifying God. So I think if you're the four friends, okay, after all this hard work, and really you think about it, it was a lot of work to get the man ready to walk there, to get through the crowd, to make their way up the stairs and to tear through the roof and to lower their friend down. And, and you think about this. Jesus' first response is, your sins are forgiven. And I wonder if they thought, you know, um, that's not why we brought our friend to you. Right? We, we brought our friend to you because he needs to be healed. He can't walk. So why are you, you know, we didn't come to confession, you know, we're, we came to have our, our friend healed. And apparently there's, you know, it could be said, Jesus, you missed the greatest need of this man. But what Jesus shows us is actually the greatest need of this man. And you see, you know, we, you may think today, and if God would just change my husband, things would be better at home. Or if God would just change the way she talks, you know, things would be so much better. Or, you know, man, if, if that changes, then everything else will change. Some of you might think, if I could just get out of debt, then I could really enjoy life, and we could really live and do what we want to do. Or, you know, if I could just get a new job, if, if, if I could just get this raise, then things would be so much better for us. Or if we could get a new house or a new car or a new boat, things will be better. And I'm here to tell you that your greatest need has nothing to do with things, right? Your greatest need has nothing to do with any of that. It has everything to do with your heart, right? True heart transformation. That's what God wants. And that's what you need. We need to, our hearts to be transformed and, and have a revival in our hearts. You see, when God changes your heart, when you get right with God, everything else in your life will change. Everything changes. And that's your greatest need right now. And you may be saying, Daniel, but you don't understand who I am. You don't understand what I've done. You, you, you just... God could never forgive me. Let me tell you, that is a lie from the devil, right? You, you, you can be forgiven. God will forgive you. And, and, and listen, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what thoughts you've thought. God can forgive anyone. And that's actually what this passage shows us, is that uh, this man shows us that no one is too far from God, no one. And as you and I, we partner with God, when we think about the Great Commission, we have an obligation to share this message with the world, right? If you're here and, and you're saved, you're a child of God, this is, this is your obligation. This is, we are, we are supposed to do that. We're supposed to share this message with 
the world. This is the greatest message, that Jesus came to the world. He lived the perfect life, right? One that we could not live. He went to a cross. He was condemned for crimes that he did not do. He rose from the dead to prove that he conquered death, hell, and the grave. And anyone at any time can call on him and he will forgive you and he will save you. That is a promise. And not only do you have eternity, a spot in eternity in heaven, but you actually have power today, right? And it's just an amazing thing. There's no greater message than that. And that's the greatest message that we can tell the world. Here's the question I have for all of us, okay? And I'm asking myself this question too. When was the last time you told someone that message, right? Not, not invited them to church, Okay, but when was the last time that you actually gave that message to someone, the gospel message, where you actually invited them to put their faith in Christ? I think about this, and think about this question as as we close here. How much do you have to hate someone to not tell them about Jesus? Right? I mean, how how much do you really have to hate somebody to not tell them? I mean, I think if we, if we were to, to dismiss and let's say we're all out here in the parking lot and uh, we're all just talking out here in the parking lot and we see a child run into the street, okay, and there's a child playing in the street and then we see this car just barreling down the road. How many of us are going to do whatever we can to save that child, right? I mean, we're going to scream, we're going to run, uh, we're going to do everything we can to save that child, right? I mean, we would. But you know what? Something much worse is coming. Something much worse. And it's an eternity in a Christless place called hell. And one of the barriers that keeps us from coming to Christ is the thought that I'm, just, I'm not acceptable to God or I'm unforgivable. You know, God, God won't forgive me. Listen, Jesus Christ, he died for the sins of the whole world, including your sins, including my sins. And Jesus came to this earth. He lived the perfect life. He died a death that he did not deserve. He rose from the dead and he conquered death, hell, and the grave for you and for me. And all we have to do is repent of our sin, right? We have to say, God, I, I am a sinner. And, and, and God, I believe you died for me. You actually died in my place. God, that was my death that I was supposed to die, but you died for me. And I'm putting my faith and trust in you. That's all you have to do. And listen, that is your greatest need. That's our greatest need. And, and all we have to do is call on him and he will save you. His grace is greater than all our sin. So have you experienced this abundant life? Do you have a, a thriving relationship with Jesus Christ? You can, you can, it's available to you. And that's what God wants for you. All right, I'm going to pray, and then um, and, and Eric's going to come up here in just a moment, and we have some business to take care of. But then after that, uh, I'm going to meet down here, down front. You guys will be dismissed if you need to leave, or if you want to leave, I understand. But if not, if you can, if you can give me just 20 minutes of your time, uh, we'll go together as a group, and we'll talk about some needs that we have all over our campus, and we'll have opportunities to pray And um, I think it'll be a blessing to you, okay? All right, let's pray. Lord, we we just, we thank you so much uh, for all that you've done. And we thank you for your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Lord, if there's someone here today that doesn't know you, I pray that they would not leave before talking to to me or just to someone, maybe someone brought them. But Lord, that they would talk to someone before they leave about how they can have a relationship with you. God, that is their greatest need. Lord, when you show up, everything changes. And so, Lord, if there is one here that doesn't know you, God, please save them today and uh, help them to trust you. Lord, for those of us that are saved, God, we are so thankful. God, we cannot thank you enough for saving us, God, for saving our family. Lord, just, uh, it, and it's not just that we get to go to heaven, but God, that we can know you and have a relationship with you now. And God, you make a difference. And so, Lord, we're, we're asking that, that you would help us, help us to make a difference here in our community. God, we have a great church family. We have a wonderful church family. We have people that, that love you and people that want to, to obey you. And, and Lord, I'm sure that everyone here would, would, would love to see revival and, and, and to see you move and just to, to see things happen and people being saved. And so, Lord, we, we, we trust you for that. Lord, we can't, we can't manufacture it, but we can be obedient. Lord, we can be obedient to the Great Commission and, and, and we can um, use the talents and the gifts that you've given us to, to further the gospel. And so help us, Lord, help us to do that here. And uh, God, will thank you for all that you do. We love you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, just sit tight here. Eric, if you want to come on up, he's going to mention some.